Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever, whomever, still working that out. And before we start, I just want to quickly apologize to any of my listeners who prefer the news story episodes like we're going to be doing today, or just the more secular or atheist content, uh, because I know I've been inundating you guys with little audio documentaries recently. Uh, first, we had the rerun of the first ever Weekend Out holiday special, and then we had the rerun or replay of the Salem Witch Trial episode. Then I just released an all-new Halloween episode on the subjects of Stingy Jack and the history of the jack-o'-lantern. And I know that stuff probably isn't everyone's cup of tea, and that's kind of reflected in the numbers sometimes. But uh, have no fear if you're in that camp, because today, uh, good old uh, secular, atheist-driven a news story episode. So first up, there's been a lot of reporting in the news lately about legislative steps that are being pursued in an attempt to protect and or codify uh, gay and interracial marriage. And I remember in the wake of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, people were fearing that these things might be next on the chopping block, so to speak. Um, and ironically... Clarence Thomas is one of the uh, justices responsible for the overturning of Roe versus Wade, and he is in an interracial marriage. And he's also the guy that said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, that gay rights and even contraceptive or contraception rights should be reconsidered after the turning of Roe versus Wade. So kind of a bold approach for a guy who is in an interracial marriage and could be possibly opening the door to the reconsideration of interracial marriage. And if you're a longtime listener, you'll already know that I have a long-standing obsession with the movie The Exorcist. It scared the crap out of me as a kid, and that turned into a kind of deep fascination and then deep respect for the film. And it's funny how everything comes back to The Exorcist. Decades ago, Clarence Thomas was accused of sexually harassing a woman named Anita Hill. And during the hearings, a passage from The Exorcist was actually read out loud because it had something to do with the alleged harassment. And I believe the line from the book uh, was where the character Burke Denning says something to the effect of, I think there's an alien pubic hair in my gin. And I remember the author, William Peter Blatty, joking that out of all the lines from the book they could have read, why that one? And I know I'm already on one of my characteristic digressions, but I can't help myself. I did a quick Google search. This is from the New York Times. Senator Orrin Hatch reads The Exorcist at Thomas Hearing. And this is from 1991, so I was still in school. Um, let's see. In an effort to debunk, and this is from a different article, in an effort to debunk her claim, Hatch accused Hill of stealing the quote from a passage in William Peter Blatty's novel, The Exorcist. 
Yeah, so I guess she must have accused Thomas of saying something that was reminiscent of that quote or line from the book. Uh, whether it was just a matter of coincidence or not, I'm not sure. That was a long time ago. But all right, let's get back on track. So where were we? Oh, yeah, these legislative steps being pursued to help protect or codify, uh, you know, marriage equality. And I know I keep saying that I'm trying not to get too political on the show, unless it's a topic where religion and politics intersect. And I think this is one of those occasions, because often people's objections to same-sex marriage, or maybe even interracial marriage, seem to be informed by or based on their religious beliefs. I don't think there's anything in the Bible condemning interracial marriage uh, that I know of, but that doesn't stop, you know, some bigots who happen to be religious from suggesting it's uh, unnatural or that God separated the races for a reason. There I go straight to my bad southern accent. Ironically, I think there's even several instances of interracial marriage in the Bible. I believe Moses even had an Ethiopian wife. I think her name was Zipporah. Not to be confused with Sephora, where women go for beauty products, I think. Um, anyway, the Bible does seem to blatantly condemn homosexuality, however, such as in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, or even in the book of Romans in the New Testament. Um, but luckily, I'm not a believer, and I have no problem with the idea of two adults of the same sex marrying each other. To me, marriage is just a man-made social construct or societal institution. I don't view it as something ordained by a higher power, but I do get the value of it, the idea of... Two committed people declaring their love for one another to the world by entering into a legally recognized union. But since I don't have any religious hang-ups about it, I think it's something that should be available to gay people as well and not limited to heterosexuals. And people on the other side will bring up the slippery slope argument. Next, you'll have people marrying footstools and Labrador retrievers or, or children. And sadly, people do marry children, uh, something I'm actually against. Remember, you had Warren Jeffs and his Mormon cult marrying off young girls to old men. Um, and it also goes on, sadly, once again, in other parts of the world, such as parts of the Middle East, etc. And here in the States, uh, let me read the following. Um, and this is just something I googled, so if there's anything um, you recognize is incorrect about it, please let me know. But I found the following. Child marriage is currently legal in 43 states. Only Delaware, Massachusetts, where I am, uh, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island have set the minimum age at 18 and eliminated all exceptions. And 20 U.S. states do not require any minimum age for marriage with a parental or judicial waiver. And I think that's probably more of a problem than two loving adults who happen to be gay marrying each other. To me, the line is two consenting adult humans, not people marrying dogs or furniture or children. So I'll quickly read some excerpts from a few articles here. First, we have this one from CNN Politics, and it's dated November 17th. Senate clears key procedural step on bill to protect same-sex marriage. 
The Senate on Wednesday cleared a key procedural hurdle toward historic passage of the bipartisan bill to protect same-sex and interracial marriage, voting 62 to 37 to break a filibuster. Wednesday's successful test vote signals the bill is on a glide path to succeed, a remarkable turn of events given how contentious the issue of same-sex marriage was just a few years ago. Actually, I feel like the sea change or the tide has been in the favor of gay marriage, um, fortunately, for a while now. But I can remember back when either Obama was running against Hillary Clinton or maybe early in his uh, administration. But both Obama and Hillary Clinton said that they thought marriage should be between a man and a woman. So, And they're supposed to be, you know liberal Democrats, so it shows how far we've come in a relatively short span of time. Um, was was gay marriage contentious a few years ago? I mean, in, in some context, I guess, there was people arguing over uh, baking gay wedding cakes, and obviously there's always been far-right, you know, Christians, evangelicals who've been against gay marriage. But I feel like in general, there has been that sea change where people are, you know, have been becoming more and more accepting of gay marriage, which I think is a very good thing. But with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, then this kind of Paul has come over everything where we can see, you know, we've seen an example of how things can move backwards and how, like I said, people have feared that interracial marriage and gay marriage could be the next things on the uh, proverbial chopping block. But it continues, while the bill would not set a national requirement that all states must legalize same-sex marriage, it would require individual states to recognize another state's legal marriage. So in the event the Supreme Court might overturn its 2015 Obergefell v. Hodges decision that legalized same-sex marriage, a state could still pass a law to ban same-sex marriage, but that state would be required to recognize a same-sex marriage from another state. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on Thursday, that's, that's a really bad Chuck Schumer uh, impression, on Thursday set the next procedural vote on the same-sex marriage bill for November 28th, after Senator's Thanksgiving recess. These guys are always getting recesses. It will require, when's my recess? It will require 60 votes. Which, is it, which it's expected to get before a final passage vote in the chamber later that week. And among the 12 Republicans who voted alongside Democrats, to their credit, to break the filibuster was Utah Senator Mitt Romney, uh, formerly the governor of Massachusetts. And uh, that's interesting to note because it leads us into a related story, and this is dated November 16th. It's from the Washington Post, and it's entitled, Mormon Church Voices Support for U.S. Same-Sex Marriage Bill. The Mormon Church said Tuesday that it supported federal legislation seeking to protect same-sex marriage rights, but it cautioned that the church's doctrine stating marriage should be between a man and a woman remained unchanged. So, kind of a conflicting message there, but I guess some support is better than none. 
In a marked or marked shift from decades of attacks on LGBTQ rights, the statement was perhaps the clearest declaration of support yet on same-sex marriage from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Church said it believes the Respect for Marriage Act is quote-unquote the way forward. The bill would require same-sex and interracial marriages to be recognized across the United States, as long as the marriage was valid in the state in which it was performed, it faces a procedural vote in the Senate on Wednesday, meaning Wednesday of this past week, it's the 20th as I'm recording this. A bipartisan group of senators announced Monday an amendment to the bill protecting religious liberties, including a provision confirming that religious organizations would retain the right to deny quote-unquote services, facilities, or goods for weddings if they so choose or chose. The church said it was, in quotes, grateful for the continuing efforts to ensure that the legislation included such provisions, and once again, in quotes, while respecting the law and preserving the rights of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. It added, in quotes, drink up, as we work together to preserve the principles and practices of religious freedom, together, together a second time, is that redundant, with the rights of LGBTQ individuals, much can be accomplished to heal relationships and foster greater understanding. This statement follows other shifts from the church in recent years, including support for state anti-discrimination legislation and a 2019 reversal of its policy not to baptize the children of LGBTQ parents. In 2015, when the policy sparked uproar among LGBTQ Mormons, the church said in quotes, Our concern with respect to children is their current and future well-being and the harmony of their home environment. Which is kind of shitty, pardon my language, because it seems to imply that uh, gay people can't offer children a loving home or raise them properly or successfully. In 2008, the church also backed Proposition 8, which banned same-sex marriage in California. It told California Mormons at the time, we ask that you do all you can to support the proposed constitutional amendment by donating of your means and time to assure that marriage in California is legally defined as being between a man and a woman. Our best efforts are required to preserve the sacred institution of marriage. So yeah, you know, maybe we shouldn't applaud them too much for their recent efforts. It was about time they started to, you know, do an about-face on some of these uh, social issues and join the 21st century. But I guess at least it's something, you know, they're trying. It's more you can, than you can say for many, you know, evangelical groups, etc., Okay, so you longtime listeners probably know I love Krampus. Uh, I even did a mini documentary episode on Krampus. The YouTube version is one of my best performing videos. Last time I checked, I think it had 70,000 views. Or I may be confusing it with my St. Patrick documentary, which also uh, did very well. But for those of you who aren't in the know, I guess, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, Krampus is a, um, a kind of demonic figure from Alpine folklore. Looks very much like a, um, you know, like the stereotypical or traditional depiction of a devil. Uh, has, um, 
goat-like hooves. Sometimes it's only one foot that's a hoof. The other one is bestial, but kind of more human. Uh, has horns like a goat, a long, lolling tongue, um, that kind of thing. And it's thought that he did have pagan origins, but over time he was integrated into Alpine uh, Christmas festivities or celebrations. And he became one of various what are known as in um, kind of European folklore companions of St. Nicholas. So in certain regions, um, the folk stories tell how Santa Claus is accompanied by Krampus. And where Santa Claus rewards uh, good children, Krampus punishes bad children, even putting them in a, in a basket on his back. And in some versions of the uh, tale, he drags them off to hell. Um, but yeah, so he does have pagan roots, as many Christmas or Yuletide traditions do. The term Yule is pagan. Uh, Christmas trees, pagan. Um, mistletoe, pagan. Uh, if Jesus was real, he wasn't born on December 25th. There's competing theories about why we might celebrate Jesus's birth on the 25th. There's the calculation hypothesis. And there's also the theory that we celebrated on the 25th because uh, the 25th of December is when the birth of the uh, solar god Mithras, or Mithra, was celebrated. I should probably pause to offer a caveat or clarification here. It is widely repeated, sometimes by reputable sources, that the 25th was considered the birthday of Mithras or Mithra, but some scholars take issue with this claim. The 25th may have been a Mithraic feast day and not necessarily an observance of his birth, or it may be, as the historical record suggests, that the 25th was more specifically when the birthday of Sol Invictus, the or unconquerable sun was observed. Sol Invictus and Mithras, both solar deities, were originally two separate deities, but over time became closely associated and worshipped together, perhaps even seen as aspects of the same deity. And then it's probably good to note that the 25th of December also would have been the winter solstice on the Julian calendar, the winter solstice being an important time or event for many ancient cultures and imbued with significance. We now return to the weakened doubt already in progress. But I bring up Krampus because I have a story here from uh, Hemet Maida's Only Sky blog, if that's the proper term. And it's dated uh, actually today, November 20th, and it's entitled Alabama Residents Are Flipping Out Over a Krampus Friendly Festival of Yule. And th that's kind of a funny uh, term, Krampus Friendly like Krampus is real, or there's more than one, like Krampi, and uh, bring your Krampus to this festival. It's Krampus-friendly. But it begins a secular quote-unquote festival of Yule in Tuscumbia. I think it is Tuscumbia, Alabama. It sounds like a place where a bunch of scumbags live, Tuscumbia. That's awful to say. I am not judging the good people of Tuscumbia. I'm just, you know, it's my first time hearing the name. Um, a secular festival of Yule in Tuscumbia, Alabama, try not to dig the hole deeper, is on the verge of being canceled despite a Christian-friendly festival. A lot of alliteration. 
taking place a week later, local officials have already announced the public can make statements about their feelings about the Yule Festival during a meeting on Monday, which could provide the pressure needed to put a stop to it. For over a decade, Tuscumbia, drink up, has hosted a Charles Dickens-themed celebration called, in quotes, It's a Dickens Christmas, y'all. It involves horse-drawn carriages, pictures with Santa, and costumes that take you back to the 19th century England, or back to 19th century England. There's nothing wrong with any of it. It's unique, local, and fun for the family. But make no mistake, it centers around a Christian holiday. This year's event will take place on December 10th. Last year, Kendall Gilchrist, the owner of Hesperia Mystic Shop, I think it is, it's the old time spelling of shop with the uh, two P's and an E, uh, decided to host a festival in nearby Florence, Alabama, that celebrated something not based on Christianity, the first quote-unquote festival of Yule, showcased local businesses and let people take a picture with a seven-and-a-half-foot Krampus. It was enough of a hit that Gilchrist wanted to host it again this year. This time around, though, because Florence had so many events taking place around the holidays, Gilchrist's husband reached out to city officials in nearby Tuscumbia, drink up, to see if the event, not if you're driving, driving, to see if the event could be hosted there. And there, road soda, and there, and there was enthusiastic approval. Gilchrist's work partner even celebrated getting the permit with a picture alongside city leaders. And this must be something either Gilchrist or someone else associated with the event posted. The Yule Festival is scheduled for December 3rd. Krampus will return and attendees are encouraged to dress up. Encouraging the public to get your cosplay on. I want to see Celtic, Vikings, gods, goddesses, wizards, and any other mystical being or thing. Let's get weird and have fun every first Saturday of December. Just like the Dickens Festival, it's supposed to be a pleasant way to promote local stores while giving people a chance to dress up and have some fun. Recently, however, some citizens began complaining on Facebook that this was all very satanic, and they criticized the city council for approving a quote-unquote pagan festival. Ugh, you dummies. It's like... <laughs> Krampus isn't even say he's a demonic-looking being from folklore, but he's actually been assimilated or integrated into Christian festivities. And Christmas itself, as I was saying earlier, is Yule. You know, it's, is um, heavily influenced by Yule and paganism. Um, wow. Dumb people, man. I don't say that that often, but it just pisses me off. The city reacted by issuing a public statement letting people know that their next meeting, a work session, would take place on a Monday, November 21st, and anyone who wanted to voice their opinions would have the opportunity to do so. The Alabama city specifically cited, in quotes, Kendall Gilchrist Festival of Yule as something people would be able to complain about. There's some reason to be worried. In private posts sent to me by a reader, and of course that's uh, Hemet speaking, Alabama residents are calling the Festival of Yule a quote-unquote grave concern. They hope to flood Monday's meeting with supporters, hoping that the city will revoke the permit-issued Gilchrist. That, of course, would be illegal. Section 5205 of the Tuscumbia City Code even says... 
and here it is in quotes, no permit shall be denied based solely on the applicant or content of protected speech scheduled to occur at a special event. Simply put, there's no reason to rescind the permit other than sheer bigotry or ignorance. Gilchrist isn't expecting that to happen. After all, city officials have been nothing but professional with her, and a lot of the concern stems from ignorance. People are confusing her festival with some overt promotion of Satanism. They don't understand who Krampus was in folklore. Most importantly, Gilchrist told me this festival isn't meant to counter the Dickens event. And you have people making a big deal out of this, Christians or whatever, compla complaining about uh, an event that involves Krampus or whatever, when Krampus events have been becoming pretty popular in the States. I believe in German it's Krampuslauf, uh, if I'm not butchering the pronunciation. It means something like... Uh, Krampus run or running of the Krampuses or whatever. Um, it's something that started in Europe. It's kind of, you know, it's a Yuletide celebration or event where young people will dress up like Krampus and drink and they'll, they'll run. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an innocent thing. So, and if you're going to try to cancel something like this, I mean, let's not be hypocrites. Then you'd have to cancel the traditional uh, Christmas uh, cancel Halloween, uh, even Easter, all of which have uh, strong pagan influences. Uh, you might say Easter, but even, you know, the fertility symbols, the, um, you know, the bunnies and the eggs. And it's believed, there's, there's different theories, but it's believed the name Easter actually comes from the name of a, uh, of a Germanic um, fertility goddess or goddess of the spring. I think she was actually a character in um, Neil Gaiman's American Gods. Uh, and there's different pronunciations or spellings. It's like Eoster or Eostra, Ostara, something like that. So I was perusing, that's a real word, isn't it? Perusing live science, looking for a good science story for this week. And there's just so many crazy headlines. And I apologize for bumping my mic around there. So we have T-Rex could have been 70% bigger than fossils suggest, new study shows. Cows fed hemp act stoned and produce milk containing THC. I personally switched away from dairy, but imagine pouring that in your cereal. Uh, 4.6 billion year old meteorite may reveal the origin of Earth's water. Protective childbirth tattoos found on ancient Egyptian mummies. Titanic 12-foot turtle cruised the ocean 80 million years ago, newfound fossils show. Maybe I'll focus in on this one. You guys may have heard of this already. It's, uh, dates, the story dates back to October 14th. Research, it's entitled, Many Brains Grown from Human and Mouse Neurons Learn to Play Pong. Researchers taught a synthetic neuron network to play a version of the retro arcade game Pong by integrating the brain cells into an electrode array controlled by a computer program. And this makes me feel old, but I can remember when Pong originally came out. Um, I'm the youngest of four siblings, so I can remember being just like a little kid in my pajamas, and uh, we got a Atari 2600. I can remember waiting for my turn to play and my older uh, siblings playing. Um, I th yeah, I think you had like a little paddle type of controller. I don't know if you played it with the uh, stick controller that came with the uh, Atari 2600. 
Anyway, uh, a synthetic mini-brain made out of human and mouse neurons has successfully learned to play the video game Pong after researchers hooked it up to a computer-controlled electrode or... This is uh, redundant. It is the first time that brain cells isolated from an organism have completed a task like this. Suggesting that such learning ability is not limited to fully intact brains locked inside animals' skulls. In the new study, researchers grew a synthetic neuron network on top of rows of electrodes housed inside a tiny container, which they called dish brain. Sounds like an insult. A computer program sent electrical signals that activated specific regions of neurons. These signals told the neurons to play the retro video game Pong, which involves hitting a moving dot or ball with a small line or paddle in 2D. The researchers' computer program then channeled performance data back to the neurons via electrical signals, did I say via or via, which informed the cells of whether they had hit or missed the ball. The researchers found that within just five minutes, the neurons had already started altering the way they moved the paddle to increase how often they hit the ball. This is the first time that a man-made biological neural network has been taught to independently complete a goal-oriented task, the researchers wrote in a new paper published October 12th in the journal Neuron. And I looked up the paper, and the title is just mind-blowing. In vitro neurons learn and exhibit sentience when embodied in a simulated game world. Wow, just uh, crazy stuff, man. The future is coming. But I think with that, I'm going to call this episode a wrap. As always, thank you for listening, everyone. You guys know the drill. You can like the Facebook page. You can follow me on Twitter, even though I'm not on there much. Um, you can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. If you'd like to support the show monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and help support what I do here for as little as 99 cents a month. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time.